We are today, we're going to begin um, exploring uh, today something that is long, it is lengthy, it's neglected by those that prefer short and sweet, it is shunned by the Reader's Digest crowd, but however, in, in its great length, it also has great depth. It is multifaceted scripture. It is rich. And it is worth the time that it will take you to explore it. And that is Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And before we dig into it, I think it's important to understand some background. Psalms 119 is comprised of 22 stanzas, each stanza being eight verses long, and each verse has two lines. Each stanza sub, uh, sequentially begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there was structure to David's wordiness. He came up with this because every stanza began with uh, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So he wasn't just... Uh, shooting off at the mouth. He wasn't just rattling some scripture out or some thoughts out. This was well thought out and developed. And I think it's notable uh, that we examine it as well. In fact, there's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that King David used this psalm to teach his son Solomon both the Hebrew alphabet but also the alphabet of spiritual life. And uh, as tempting as it may be, you'll be happy to know I'm going to refrain from uh, taking one stanza each week since there's uh, 22 stanzas and that would be 22 weeks. But I do want to say I do think that David's length in this scripture uh, is a really good summarization because almost every single stanza in this passage of scripture could be taken, it could be expounded upon, and it could be practically applied to our lives. One of my favorite historical preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, in examining the book of Psalms, chapter 119, has 398 pages devoted solely to its writings uh, in his book called The Treasury of David. Another preacher of old, Thomas Manton, developed 190 sermons based on this one chapter of scripture. So it is a big task to simplify it and condense it down. I believe it's going to be about five weeks um, starting today. But I want us to notice that Psalms 119 uh, has some major themes that run throughout the scripture. There's some particular lessons that I think that we should take some time and ponder. And you will find as we go through this, the Lord spoke to me through this passage of scripture. And it basically kind of echoes what I've been teaching and preaching and what the Lord is laying on my heart. And I felt like that this was where he would have us go next. So I would encourage you, uh, between you don't have to read it all this week, but between now and as we go through the next five weeks, I would encourage you to read the chapter in its entirety. All 176 verses start to finish. Uh, because each week, what I think I'm going to do, I know what I'm going to do today, is just pick out some verses that speak to the theme that we are examining or we're looking at each week. So the first and perhaps the most obvious theme that David spends some considerable time addressing in this psalm is the Word of God. And 
We should know this. You may feel like you don't know a lot about Psalm 119, but most all of you know verse 105. David said that the word was a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But we also must go back and realize that from start to finish, David, if in fact he was trying to teach his son Solomon, and it's important that you know this, if he was trying to teach his son Solomon what's important in life, then this passage of Scripture, as we study it, should drive home the importance of God's Word in our lives and in your life. And so that's why I've entitled this series, By the Book. And today we're going to examine what the psalmist's words have to say about the Word. So the first passage I'm going to read, it's going to be different verses. It'll be easier for you to follow along on the screen. But I want to ask you to stand with me for the first passage of Scripture that we're going to read. First of all, the Word of God has implications on how we walk. We know we talk about our uh, relationship with Christ as a walk. We, we refer to it as a walk. The Word of God has implications on how we walk. So we're going to read uh, about seven verses of Scripture. Verses 1 through 3 are the first three we're going to read sequentially. The Word said in the NIV version, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. Skipping down to verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 24. Your statutes, your word, is my delight. They are my counselors. Remember that. Verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. We're going to dig in today to part one of the series by the book. We're going to talk about the word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence we've already felt here. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be in your house today and to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we ask you today that you would just anoint your word, speak to our hearts. God, change our lives by your presence, by your word, and by your presence today. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in advance in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now give the Lord a big hand clap of praise this morning as you're seated. Thank you, Nicholas. David simply states that our involvement with the Word, our daily interaction with the Word of God, our knowledge of the Word has a, a direct and a dramatic impact on how we walk. In fact, David states that it is the Word that keeps us from sin. Simply stated, we sin because of lack of the Word. You will not find a Christian that studies the Word regularly, that has a regular devotional reading and prayer life out living in sin. You won't find it. We sin because of a lack of the Word. Without His words, you see, we don't really know right from wrong. Have you ever shook your head or scratched your head and wondered why sometimes new converts can come into the church and they get saved. But then, see, back in the day when I got saved uh, and when other people who were uh, just stark sinners got saved, 
uh, first of all, no sin is worse than any other sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you know what I'm talking about when you say somebody that was a rank or a stark sinner, right? I mean, everybody knew their business. Everybody knew the life they were living. And back in that day when they got saved, fortunately for them and us, there was no social media. Say amen, somebody. So now today in the church, it seems like we struggle with the fact that somebody comes into the church and they get saved and they get converted. And then once they get converted, automatically we just expect that instantaneously, just like snapping your finger, that everything is just going to be totally different in their life and all the sin goes away and they just walk all holy and pure and fluffy every day. Right? But then we look on social media and we see, ooh, they still say some things they shouldn't say. They still do some things they shouldn't do. They still go some places they shouldn't go. And why is that? Because without the word of God, we don't know right from wrong. So as the church, and um, this is probably not popular, maybe not especially with the 845 crowd because you're, uh, there's this theology or mindset that you're more dedicated because you're here early. Uh, I hope, that, I hope that's true. But while I'm saying that, let me say this. It is not our job as the church to judge them, to talk about them, to run them down, and to push them out of the church and make them feel like that they can't live up to our expectations. It is our responsibility, not my responsibility, it is our responsibility as disciples to make disciples. How does a disciple make a disciple? We teach others the word of God. So we don't have to get on the phone and talk to 14 people or nowadays I think it works this way, screenshot it and send it in a text or in messenger to somebody else and talk about, oh, look what they're saying and look what they're doing. What we ought to do is instantly pray for them and then maybe send them a message that, hey, did you know the Word says this? I'm so thankful you're, tr you're trying to walk with Christ. Here's what the Word says. You might want to reconsider that post. Have you ever thought about doing that? That's what we ought to do as the church. I know this is not popular. It's hard. But that's our responsibility. We hide His Word in our heart, the Bible says, that we might not sin against Him. His standards for our life is found in the Word. But see, our issue is that we hide sin in our heart and we never get enough of His Word to drive out the things that we have hidden. What are you talking about, Pastor? You are preaching to the 845 crowd. Well, I found sometimes that we hide gossip inside our hearts. We hide uh, hard feelings inside our hearts. We hide um, selfishness inside our hearts. And it crowds out the Word of God. There's not enough room for the Word of God to drive out the things that we are, hit, that we are hiding. We are experts at hiding things in our hearts. As a matter of fact, Christians are the best at hiding things inside their hearts. Lust, anger, Bitterness, malice, revenge, jealousy, oh Lord have mercy. And the only hope that we have to walk right is to allow the word of God to drive out the things that are hidden inside our hearts. David is clear that our only hope for walking in purity is to live according to God's word. 
We are saved by the blood. Say amen somebody. We talked about that last week. You know this. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We are saved by the blood. But however, we are washed, we are also washed by the word. The old hymn was right when it said, and we sung it last Sunday on the, on the end of a song, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin, but however, after the blood is applied, and after we are saved, we need to move from a blood bath to a word bath. Give me scripture for that. I will. I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 said this. To make her holy. Who is she? She's the church. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. You see, here is a problem in the church today. We keep running back to church, running back to God, and asking for Him to wash us in the blood, but He all along is asking us to wash ourselves in His Word. We want to plead the blood. You know why? Because it doesn't cost us anything. It cost Him something, but we don't feel the pain that He went through when He shed His blood on the cross. So it's easy to plead the blood I've heard people say oh I plead the blood And the blood was shed for things for us to plead Yes But instead of us always wanting to do something That doesn't cost us anything What we need to do Is to become so immersed in the word But the only way that you can become immersed in the word Is through discipline And you will feel the pain of that discipline David states that the Word is our counselor. I told you to remember that. Boy, we seem to have a multitude of counselors this day and time. I mean, we are inundated with opinions. Say amen, somebody. Our lives are overcome with opinions. Guess what? They're like noses. Everybody has one. But everybody's ain't pretty. Everybody has an opinion. But David says that it is the word that should be our counselor. Instead of being so concerned, young people, with what everybody else thinks about you, why don't you go to the word of God and see what the word says about what you're concerned about? The word should be our counselor. David says that it's the opinion and the standard of the word that should triumph all other voices. But you know what? In a lot of walks and in a lot of churches, there is an absence of the word. There's an absence of the word. You know what? I, listen, don't misunderstand me. This is a full gospel Pentecostal church. There will be times, and I love those times, when the Lord just comes in so strong, just like it said in the Bible that the priest couldn't stand to minister, there will be times that the presence of God comes in so powerfully that there may not be any preaching. But when that happens, usually... 
the altar fills up before anybody, any man gets up to open it. The altar fills up. God's moving. God's speaking. Those are wonderful times. But I have had it up to here with hearing, Oh, we had a barn burner. We had a gully washer. We didn't have any preaching. And then the two weeks later you see him. Oh, it was so good. We had a gully washer. We had a shout down. We didn't have any preaching. And then a month later you see him. Oh, how was church? Ours was great. We didn't have any preaching. Folks, we are missing it when we think that we have found something that that can can replace the Word of God. There is no more superior authority than the Word of God. The spiritual gifts... The spiritual gifts do not even supersede the word of God. There is nothing more powerful than the written and the spoken word. So David's emphasis on the word's uh, impact on our walk, that also means that if you don't have the right amount of word in you, then you are going to struggle to walk above sin. You're going to struggle to walk in purity. And you're going to struggle to walk in wisdom. The word also has implications on how you weather. I want to read some more verses. You don't have to stand. These are going to be picked out as well. The first one, Psalm 119, verse 28. David said, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 61. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. Verse 62. At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. Verse 74. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. Verse 114. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Verse 153. Look on my suffering and deliver me. For I have not forgotten your law or your word. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Those who love your word, nothing can make them stumble. Verse 169. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. And verse 175. Let me live that I may praise you and may your laws or your word sustain me. Some of us this morning are in the midst of storms right now. Some of you may be facing significant trials and heartaches. You're not really on the offensive. Right now you're on the defensive. You have been uh, the pigeon. This is a, uh, a different analogy, but it's just the first thing I thought of. You've been the pigeon, but now you're the statue. You know what happens to the statue by the pigeon? Uh-huh. You are, and the statue can't do anything about it. You are weathering. There are times in this life that we will just have to weather what we're going through. David gives us insight to the fact that it is the word that enables us and empowers us to be able to endure and to survive. Here's what David says. He said his word strengthens you. If you are weathering, you need strength. That strength comes from his word. Not from your best friend. 
Not from a vacation. Not from a shopping trip, ladies. Retail therapy, right? Not from a financial blessing. Not from somebody else or another church or another preacher or another teacher somewhere. His strength does not come from anything else but His Word. David declares that even when bound, based on the Word of God, we can learn to praise God right in the middle of the midnight hour. I read that verse when he said at 62, and at midnight I rise to give you thanks for the righteous laws. Back up and read verse 61. He said, though the wicked... Bind me with ropes. Verse 61 there if you have it. Though the wicked bind me with ropes. Thank you. I will not forget your law. Verse 62. And at midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. Do you know what? Immediately what I thought of when I read that passage of scripture. David is saying that even when we're bound... Based on the word of God, we can learn, it's a learned trait, but we can learn to praise God in the middle of the midnight hour. Consider Paul and Silas. That's the first thing that I thought about. Beaten to a bloody pulp, persecuted for following Jesus, but the Bible said, and at midnight they began to sing and to praise God. Now you you contemplate that for just a second. And I want to ask you, do you have enough word inside you to turn your midnight hour into a praise party? This will separate the babies from uh, the adults as Christians, the mature, the babies from the mature. Do you have enough word in you to turn your pouting into praise? Some of you said, I don't pout. Oh, I'm your pastor. I beg to differ with you. I've seen you pout. Do you have enough word down on the inside of you to replace your spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise? He states that God's word, listen to me this morning, becomes our place for hope. Our place for hope. In other words, if you're going through a tough place, you got to remember to put your hope in what His word has promised you. You got to put your hope, place your hope in what God's word has promised you. But see, the problem is, particularly in the Pentecostal realm, we want a prophecy from somebody to help us weather. We want a word from somebody to help us weather. But David isn't talking about a prophecy. He's talking about the promises and the assurances that are already contained in the word. Do you know you've got promises made to you in the word of God? Psalms 136 and 1 promises that God will love you forever. Hebrews 13 and 5 promises that God will never leave you. Oh, I tell you. Friends will leave you Family will leave you But Hebrews 13 and 5 promises you That God will never leave you Isaiah 49 and 13 promises That God will comfort you I'm telling you There'll be times in your life When you're broken hearted When you just ache from inside Like you feel like you're going to die And nobody else can make it better But if you'll go to Jesus If you'll turn to His Word His Word will comfort you. Psalms 121 verses 1 and 2 promises that God will help you. Psalms 46 declares God is our refuge and strength a very present help in the 
time of trouble. Psalms 33 and 4 promises that God is always faithful. People won't always be faithful. But God will always be faithful. Nahum 1 and 7 promises that God will keep you safe. And Deuteronomy 7 and 9, this is the best one of all, promises that God will keep His promises. Isn't that good? So, but you know what? Sometimes we have no hope because we have no word. We stumble through dry, painful episodes and for a long time and we long for somebody to call us up and give us some hope. Or we go to another service somewhere or run to the next conference. There ain't nothing wrong with going to conferences. But I'm sick and tired of people running to different churches, running to different conferences to try to find somebody to give them a word. You don't need somebody to give you a word. There are thousands of pages of God's Word that's already been given to you. Stop trying to run somewhere else and look for somebody to give you some hope. God is waiting on you to place your hope in what He's already promised. But that is a decision. That is a choice that you have to make of your own free will. That's an act of will that you assign and align your hope, fix your hope, attach your hope to what God has already said. His word, according to David, brings peace. If you don't have peace in your life, it could be you don't have enough of God's word in your life. Now listen to this. He says that nothing can make you stumble. Nothing. I sat and thought about that for close to an hour Thursday night. Nothing will make you stumble. Nothing. Not a nasty divorce. Not a terminal illness. Not a financial nightmare not your crazy kids or your crazy parents whatever the case may be or your crazy siblings or your cray cray cousin every one of us has got a cray cray cousin nor your evil employers nor your co-workers nothing can make you stumble If I had a dollar for every time I sat across from somebody who needed help and I asked them why they did what they did, particularly not youth but younger people, if I had a dollar for every time they said, the devil, it's just the devil. The devil made me do it. Guess what? I would be rich. But you know what? According to this, the devil cannot make you do it. Mm -hmm. 
in this age of entitlement where everybody feels like everybody owes them something. In this age where nobody, you know I'm telling you the truth, nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Hired any younger generation folk to work lately? Nobody wants to be told how to do anything. They ain't never done it before, but they already know more than you do. In this age where nobody wants to be told they're wrong, nobody uh, wants to uh, come under subjection, boy, that's a good word, to anybody else, uh uh-huh. Yeah, I'll never forget sending a text saying, uh, as a pastor, please don't ask me who this was. I will not, I promise you, I will not tell you. I'll never forget sending a text as a pastor. Yes, it happened after we started pastoring here, saying, well, at this point, that's not really an option. And getting a text back in all caps, yes, that will be an option. In this age where people are defiant of authority, where people refuse to come under, oh, I know that gets uncomfortable and some folks don't like it. But I want to tell you something. I've got an authority over me. I've got a state overseer that if he, I've got a district overseer that if he asks my presence, it's something I attend it. If he asks me to do something, I do it. We all should come under subjection to authority. And none of us have the right to ever think that nobody can tell me anything. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody has a right to tell me that I'm wrong. I tell you what happens to us. We get in trouble, T-R-O. U-B-L-E as Travis Tritt I think sung it we get in trouble when we don't obey the word of God and what happens to us is we end up falling flat on our face somewhere becoming a miserable failure because we would not come under subjection to the word of God and to the authority of God in our lives the devil cannot make you do anything this book says that nothing can make you stumble. He says the word brings understanding. It sustains us. You see, the word is our refuge. I already quoted Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength. The word is our refuge. This passage of scripture that I read up here somewhere said that his word was a refuge. His law was a refuge to us. He says, one, verse 114, You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. His word is our refuge. But let me tell you something. A refuge will only do you good if you run to it in times of trouble. That's what a refuge is. That's what you run to when trouble hits. Boy, I'm about to preach right here and probably won't get any help. We run to everything except God's Word. We run to everybody except God's Word. We run everywhere except our prayer closet. And I hope that you'll attend and get involved in this War Room Bible study because I believe if it doesn't teach us to do anything else, it will teach us what God will do when we go shut our door in our closet and we take this leather-bound book with us and we open it up and begin to read it and then we begin to pray the Word. When we run to God and shut the door on everything else that's going on around us, God will be our refuge. If you want the refuge to do you any good, you've got to run to it. In times of trouble. So if you're weathering, then it's absolutely essential. 
to ingest, to dine on, and even, I wanted to use this word, binge on the word. See, that is foreign to most of us. When we're going through a tough time, we want to lay around on the couch and wallow in TV. Or we want to be like, Angie and I helped a young person one time. And I went to their house and the people they were living with. I kid you not. Nice house. Decent jobs. Good income. Had nothing to do with anything like that. Nice vehicles. But they were dwelling in a bedroom with all the blinds pulled and blankets hanging over the doors. Blankets hanging over the hallway. We want to wallow in self-pity. We want to run. These were Christian people. We want to run to the darkness. We want to lay on the couch and wallow in TV. We want to, some of us want to turn to food. Are there any other stress eaters in the house besides me? Stress me out, boys, and I'll put her away quicker than you can blink an eye. We want to turn to friends. We want to turn to distractions. We want to spend our energy looking to everything and everybody before we invest our energy in seeking the Lord about it. David says, turn to the Word. Think about what you're missing if you aren't turning to the Word. You can weather anything if you have His Word. And third and lastly this morning, all we're going to look at, this is the final part for today. The Word has implications on how you war. In a few moments, I want them to come sing, This is How I Fight My Battles. But I want us to read some scripture this morning. Psalms 119, verses 41 and 42. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Then, listen to this, then I can answer anyone who taunts me. For I trust in your word. Verse 98. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. I put my hope in your word. Yes, that's the second time we've read that. Because we just talked about a refuge, but I'm going to talk about a shield in a minute. We want God's help to defend us and help us to endure. But most of the time, we don't ever consult God about how to fight. See, we like to fight in our own power and in our own might. And the result is we end up bruised, battered, and defeated. Or if we, what we consider win, then we've left behind us a path of destruction, something that can't be fixed. But David relates our ability to war correctly to our knowledge of and our love for God's Word. His Word, boy, help me Lord. His Word enables us to guard our mouth and answer correctly. That would be a major leap towards maturity for some of us. He said His Word enables us to guard our 
mouth. He said, Psalms 119, 41-42, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. His word will help us guard our mouth and answer correctly. If we would just simply give God's word command over our mouth. Have you ever, and I know some of you have, now some of you, maybe not, you just, some of you might just blurt out what you think when you think it. I think that's okay, that's just how I am. You ever had anybody tell you that? If we would simply give God's word command over our mouth, have you ever started to say something and you just like, I am, um, uh, um, mm. you just have to do that? Anybody ever had to do that? I did that just the other day. And I can think of one instance yesterday when I should have done it, but I didn't. I went like Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. If we would just give God's word command over our mouth. See, we can destroy. We can damage. We can inflict pain with this right here. And David says, get into his word and then you'll know how to answer those who are taunting, attacking, or in modern slang, talking junk about you or to you. You'll know how to when you give God's word command over your life. Listen to another thing his word does. He said it makes you wiser than your enemy. Your enemy is pretty smart. But you know what most of the time I find? Most of us just continue to fight dumb. Don't get offended at that. It's the truth. His word will make us wiser than our enemy. Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. That's what his word says. His word will make us wiser than our enemy, but sometimes we just continue to fight dumb. But how much more effective would we fight in battle if we were able to fight with wisdom? Sometimes we're pulled into defeat over and over again simply because our enemy is smarter than us because we failed to find the wisdom that comes from the word of God. His word contains his strategies and his tactics for victory. When we have no word, we operate in our own power. And when we operate in our own power, we get battered, we get beat to death. You see, when even Jesus, when he was assaulted by the devil himself, Jesus did not battle in his own. He was fully man and fully God. He did not battle in his human intellect, in his thoughts, or even in his own verbiage. Think about this. Instead, every time that he battled the enemy directly, you will find him leveraging God's word for the victory. What did he say? It is written, Satan. It is written. Boy, I'm going to tell you something this morning. When the enemy starts taunting you and coming against you, if you'll just know enough of the word of God to quote it back to him, I'll tell you, you'll find him fleeing quicker than you can say boo when you just quote God's word to him he cannot stand the word the power and the authority that comes from the word of God if they'll come to the music this morning finally he is our shield I want to tell you something you will not make it in war if all you have is a sword now we know that the scripture tells us in another passage that the word of God is quick, sharper than any two-edged sword. We know in another passage it's referred to as the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But I want to tell you something. If 
you go to battle, if you really go to war, if all you have is a sword, you won't make it. You also need a shield to be able to protect yourself so that when the enemy strikes you, you can block his blow and he becomes exposed. That passage in Hebrews says, our shield of what? Faith. Here's another problem I see today. A lot of people want to claim to have faith. And the only scripture they know is to call those things that are not as though they were. And maybe they know the other passage about faith. But real faith is knowing the word and believing it. That's faith. So you got to have the word to fight. You got to know it. You got to read it. But when you put faith to action, his word becomes not only a sword, but also a shield. Oh boy, that's good. Without the word, though, we are vulnerable and unarmed. If you'll stand with me all over the house. Many who call themselves Christian have a deficiency of fellowship. I believe that. You've got two opportunities today to show up and, and do some fellowship. A lot of people have a deficiency of fellowship. They don't see it as important, but it is important. Many Christians also have, and I won't even get into this, I don't have time, a deficiency of accountability. But that's a whole sermon within itself that nobody wants to hear. Most Christians have a deficiency of accountability. But my greatest concern is that far too many faithful church attenders, faithful church attenders, have a deficiency of the Word. That's my concern. You get the Word at church... But you're unable to walk, you're unable to weather, and you're unable to war because you're not in the Word on a regular, daily basis. I want to tell you this morning as I open the altar, other things can fill that void. But they cannot and they will not help you walk, weather, and war. If you don't have the Word, you're going to stumble, you're going to surrender, you're going to find yourself surrounded. But when you have the Word, you can walk with Jesus. You can weather whatever comes your way. And you can war victoriously against your adversary knowing that it may look like you are surrounded. But when you have the word, you're surrounded all right. You're surrounded by God and the authority of his word.